0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Ignite the Flame audio, uh, where we're carrying on with our book, A Light in the Mist. Obviously, if you're just tuning in, I would encourage you to go back to the first episode uh, if you're here to listen to the actual reading of chapters, uh, because obviously it would make better sense. Um, If you're just tuning in, basically to give you a breakdown of the episode, what we have is a reading of the chapter taken from one of our novels, in this case, our first, A Light in the Mist. And then we have a section called The Origin of Ideas, which is basically where we go into sort of the inspirations behind that particular chapter and how ideas performed within that chapter. And then we have a different section, which is called The Tips of the Trade, where any of you who are aspiring to be an author yourself, it basically takes you through tips, basically ranging from getting started to, you know, being fully published and all that sort of stuff and everything in between. So... With that being said, we'll get straight into the episode, and uh, I'm Wayne Telford, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Ignite the Flame Audio, where our hope is to bring people together, one word at a time. Follow me, Wayne Telford, into the depths of your imagination. A Light in the Mist. Chapter 2. A Matter of Urgency. The look of astonishment was once I had never witnessed before, as if he had seen a spirit incarnate from his past come to plague him. Had I changed so much since the last time we met? Had he grown fond of other friends and misplaced my memory in the complexity of his mind? You remember me? Don't you, old boy? I asked with heart and chest, beating mildly in the hopes that he recalls my existence. You old weasel, course I remember you. Who could forget that record? By which he meant twenty-five criminals apprehended within the first two months of police duty. Quite the achievement. Could not have been possible, had it not been for you, old friend. Giving credit where it was due, so as not to give myself even more of a swelled head. Ah, codswallop, you have the brains, technique, and charm, he pronounced, turning my attention away from the task at hand. Yes, but you have the knowledge, and background, dear boy, in order to drive them out. It was true, James knew every city for miles, and even the undoable areas. Lord knows why he would want to navigate them. Mind you, probably smelled no different than Topside, or with all the trash and leavings all over the streets. Oh, what streets they were. Human excrement as far as the eye could see, and rats dancing in remains as though a pagan altar. Yes, this was the capital, not of the country, but of disease manifested. I need your assistance again, James. We've been summoned by His Majesty to solve a murder. What do you say? Always looking for adventure, Jekyll. You know me. I've never admired royalty. But never do I back from a challenge. Again with that pride of character. And there was me complaining of my swollen head. So does this mean your support, old friend? Just as past times? Huh. <laughs> Just as past times with your... abilities? And my... talents? Talents? Abruptly I interrupt, yes, yes, not so audible. Do you wish to scare these people half to death? With a look of distaste and shock in my eyes, wondering if the wrong person had overheard such as a journalist or some impressionist informant. Looking for a reward. Relax, old boy. This crowd never listens to sense. They only believe what the cats tell them. And with a blank expression I reply, cats? Yeah. It's what the fathers of our nation are being called now, so fat from greed they expect others to work around them as they lounge about. Bankers, lawyers, you know the class. Clarifying a newly used phrase to the best of his ability. Yes, I can see the resemblance, although do not let a fellow constable hear you, or we may face the noose for our troubles. (laughs) Huh, they would be displeased. The crowd would surely cease in boredom if ever I was hung. Wouldn't see anything other than a child's puppet, or man's puppet, in my case. I reply with caution. Man's? Eh, watch your tongue, Jekyll. (laughs) Jokingly, James replied. I always admired that James. Could make a joke of anything, and receive jokes in turn. He believes one should not find humour in another's default, unless they are willing to have others laugh at theirs in turn. Alas, my friend, time is against us, and we must make haste, or the entire monarchy may perish. Forgive my incompetence, but would not that give us ease? then there would only remain the perpetrator. old oh, James, always looking for the simplest solution, unaware that more sinister forces were afoot, as well as proving himself simple in the process, the poor fellow, gives no credit to himself. No, my friend, I believe a royal may be behind this scheme. An inside parasite, you mean? Precisely. Of course I have no evidence of this, only past experience throughout history, though I am told we have grown out of these days but I'm a strong believer in history repeating itself. I'm entitled to agree with you, Jekyll, but best ensure we get evidence to keep old Ram happy. Again, I imply, old Ram, once again, he clarifies, well, the judge resembles a sheep with the wig he adorns. Becoming tiresome, I instruct, could you refrain from using the modern language, my friend? My mind has trouble comprehending these descriptions. Very well, Jekyll. Ollie's up. Inside man finding it difficult, is he? Whatever do you mean? Looking around, hoping once again for the crowd's ignorance and forgetfulness as James taps his nose like a judge with his gavel. The sound echoing through prison bars as the guards lock up for the night's duties. Realising this would be my future had anyone found out. Jekyll? Jekyll! Do not worry, old friend. I've kept your secret for hundreds, well, years. I'm not about to divulge that information, am I? much obliged. With a sigh of relief, I reply, as if a large weight had been relinquished from my shoulders and my words can move freely, as tightness of throat no longer gripped and the tensing of stomach had alleviated. Shall we be on our way, then? I ask, hoping for a straight answer. But, as always, life is never that simple. Sir, sir, what about our agreement? You gave your word you did. The same young boy urges me gripping on to my arm, never letting go until the deed was accomplished. Very well. What do you require of me, young fellow? Please, sir. I ran away from home. My mother will kill me if I do not have a good reason to return to her. And what is that reason, dear boy? I inquire, again expectant of tales of cruelty and harshness. A... A... Girl, sir. You left home for a girl? My dear boy, you are getting ahead of yourself, are you not? What of your age? Thirteen, fourteen years? Thirteen, sir. Can you help me? The boy please, once more with tears coming to his eyes, and the darkness of consequence rimming in his pupils. Very well. How can I resist a face like that? Although this girl had better be worth a beating that I am willing to take in your place, knowing full well that an imprint on the face would probably be the worst that would come upon me, which I can deal with, but my counterparts may not be so acceptant. The young lad leads me down a street on an unforgiving side of the city, where all the working-class division lived. But I am not one to judge due to divisions in society. I mean, my old friend Flint is middle class, and I am only lumbered with being an upper class gentleman due to my father before me. Fascinating that amidst our great empire, class division exists within our own encampment. How are we to conquer those lands which oppose if we have not even settled our own. We fight for equality as a nation, and yet difference is still feared. Just as a brother has different coloured skin, or a woman being of a feeble gender, such things should be overlooked in our philosophy. Alas, however, we hold on, perhaps due to man's ever-growing fear and desire to control, and accepting the sharing of one's pedestal, rather than isolating oneself above the rest. We come to a set of aged stairs, each creaking as though biblical, No wonder the boy wished not to return, probably feared for his legs' well-being. The stairs were blackened cream, leavings of the day's markings scraped on their edges, entailing footwear with only tread to distinguish. The paint was faded, and wood barely holding its structure. I placed my feet ever so gently, so as to not cause damage to both the stairs and myself. I tapped the door, as if booby-trapped to spring open and strike me in the facial area. Suddenly, the door swings wide open, and standing with the kitchen utensil in hand, in the shadow of the day, was none other than the boy's mother, all red-faced and seeking rage, maintaining aggression whilst restrained, so as not to attack a stranger. Or at least, that's what I hoped. Excuse me. I believe this young man belongs to you, miss. I try to engage in conversation, and something about my accent begins to distract her. Potter. Moira Potter, sir. And yes... He belongs to me, the lunatic, she implores, once again becoming rattled with pent-up frustration. Please, ma'am, there's no need for rage. We're both civilized beings, and I'm sure we have all done things which are impractical in the name of life, have we not? Hoping to once again distract her, and infer she sees sense. If only you would tell me that you're seeing Charlotte, then I would not be so worried. You see, Mr... Jekyll, I hasten to say so as to not lose attention and draw danger to the boy again. Mr. Jackal, you see it's his father. He don't like him sneaking off to see her, reckons it's shady and criminal-like behaviour. Well, I do not think it can cause any harm, and if it does not bother yourself, then why the hostile reception, if you do not mind my implying? Well, you see, sir, I was simply worried. Last I heard he was at the city zoo grounds, and you being of our birth... Must know how dangerous those wild animals are, especially caged ones. I think to myself she has no idea, but now that I had reached common ground, i better seal this matter and get on to the royal household. Well, I'm sure this young man is apologetic for your worry and anguishes, and humbly requests your forgiveness. What? she says, as if I had spoken in some unknown tongue. He means I'm sorry, ma'am. the boy proclaims as if acting as peacemaker, even though he committed the offence and is the guilty party. But surprisingly, it works. How amazing to think that no matter how angry your parents may be with you, and no matter what you do wrong, there will always be a place in their hearts for you, and will welcome you back with open arms. All you need do is utter one word. Sorry. Well, must be heading off. Uh, We are on an important assignment. Right, Flint? James nods his head, as if turned to stone by the presence of Miss Potter. She looked intimidating, I know, but she was not the fabled Medusa from Greek mythology whose stare could impede others' motions. "'Thank you, sir. I'm eternally in your debt,' exclaimed the boy with a look of joy and hope once again upon his face, like a lantern applied to a darkened area of room. "'Well, my dear fellow, I might hold you to that. You never know what favours you will need in this profession.' Humbly, we left the family to go out alone, and disappeared amongst the mist and echoes of people's conversations, as if walking from the face of the earth. Suddenly, before it is accepted, we arrive at the house. The journey always seems faster on the return. However, the door is wide agape. We rush inside and find two officers standing in the great hall. Had something become of Bernard? Anticipation gets the better of my usually fine judgment, and I cannot withhold my voice from shouting, "'Bernard!' but by grace, he is fine, and in good health. Discussing my family history with the two officers. Pale-faced one, with facial hair, the other, clean-shaven, and both of them smelling as though they had spent the night in the local cemetery. Is it true that officers keep sandwiches under their hats, Jekyll? James asks. I honestly do not know, old boy. I thought it was a myth. I suppose you could ask. But before you do, we have more pressing matters to attend to such as their intended purpose here? I slightly etched my way into the presence of both police officers, drawing attention to myself any way I could, so as to not seem suspicious. Inspector Isaac Jekyll, inquired the shaven officer. Yes, that is me, but most call me Jekyll. How can I aid you two gentlemen? I asked, praying this visit not to be a conviction because of interfering in the young man's life or someone overhearing at the zoological grounds. "'Well, actually, sir, you can help yourself to this invitation and transportation to Buckingham Palace, the home of Her Majesty the Queen of England, Empress of India, ruler of this great empire, and of you.' I glance at the invitation, appearing to have been written in a matter of hurry, and by someone who obviously had not been taught how to spell correctly, or tell the knee from their elbow in that sense. The address was slanted, each word as a cryptic message and what could be only described as a sense of dishonesty. A quickened hand was one matter, I witnessed it myself, but not like this. It seemed as though the writer was urgent, or under trial, expressing their true intentions with each sentence end. The letter was full of intrigue, reading, The following are summoned to the palace on behalf of Her Majesty, the Queen, with regards to a matter most devious and tragic. Make haste, the fate of our empire may rest with your hands. The letter strikes as if a weapon, but only alerts me to a greater danger lying within our city walls, almost as if a disease hard-gripped the very reality we all hold to, as a babe to its mother, seeking to claim it and watch chaos unfold. However, you aren't to question these things, it just complicates matters further, and we were already several hours late leaving. So we spring into action, grabbing whatever could be packed within limited time frame, and extrude through the doorway, as if delivering a letter of great importance from a wealthy courier. The cart was lovely. Silver bodywork with blackened windows and ornamental stallions rearing up as if stunned by the lamps they held. The wheels of an elegant touch, and reflective interior edges showing distorted images of all that lay upon them. Mind your heads, gentlemen. The officers warn us. As we submissively enter the carriage feeling as images of criminality and persecution. But that's a different story altogether. Allow us to make your acquaintance, gentlemen. Officers Daltz and Schumann at your service. We were sent by Sergeant McLean, as if to hold their efforts and prevent further delay from ensuing. That's right, sir. He was worried you may not have received this message. He thought you may already be on a case. Well, are there more pressing matters than the safety of our king and queen? I ask, in the expectations of these being local police officers, and not the other kind, only seeking to earn more self-worth and reputation. However, they seem genuine enough, but I had been wrong before about certain characters, but again, only time and experience would tell. For now we put our trust in them. I mean, what choice did we have? We come to a street, vaguely familiar, yet indecisive, with each life echoing in the air and the sun blisteringly hot, revealing itself upon the windows of our carriage, the colours clearing the way as though we are royalty ourselves. We will be there soon, gentlemen, and then your services will be required, muttered the officer, whose name escapes me, and something about his presence intrigues me, a fog covering his mind as if deceived by a higher authority. But perhaps paranoia has got the better of me again, and maybe I'm judging prematurely once more. Well, I hope you enjoyed the journey, Jekyll and Flint. I mean, gentlemen. The royal servants will wish you to address yourself immediately. Yes, but of course. We will hasten to act on Her Majesty's behalf, and catch the killer at large upon delivering him to your superior for the royal household to be rejuvenated to her former glory. I look across to Flint, silent the whole trip. Could he sense something I could not? Or was he pondering on something too strenuous and those cogs of his have seized up? Alas, I give James little credit for his efforts. After all... That record mentioned earlier was only possible due to his participation. Jekyll, are we here at the palace which holds the monarchy of our society, who enable our survival and consider the betterment of mankind, like you and me? James asks, with hope glaring in his words, like the rays of the sun on a waterfall or fish scales. Why yes, my friend. Welcome back to the land of the living. Have you been asleep? I inquire, knowing full well the answer to be no and just looking for an excuse to talk to someone who I had known for more than a couple of hours. We step out of the cart onto an uneven pavement, with cracks slithering throughout the concrete, as if a serpent in nature, or lightning across the night sky, with each one bringing with it not just superstition, but potential hazards to our health, bearing in mind we were here to help prevent accidental death or injury. Just to think, our money goes to pay for such things, Alas, the royal household was the one in need of repair. We walk up the stairs, each one telling a slice of history, like a snapshot in time, revealing our makers and their likeness in these great works. The grand door beckons us, as the guard opens the gateway to the underworld, where all you see are fear-struck faces of those who witness the death of a loved one or close friend. The sound of tears shed upon the carpets, resembling happy or fond memories of a life now past. But hope had arrived to bring this dark follower to justice, no matter the method, no matter the cost, no matter the person. "'Greetings, sir. May I take your hat and overcoat?' implied a guard, as if duty restricted him from acting in accordance with the event, rather than suggesting normality within his sadistic series of events. "'A creature with no compassion, no love for the lost, not to mention a lack of respect.' You seem calm, guard, for the situation. Whatever do you mean, sir? The guard replies, looking at me as if I was uttering nonsense, and that this whole charade was for nothing but a cruel, sick joke. I am referring to the murder of Augustus Pine, a man struck down at your leisure and supposed to be under your protection. Is that not what the law claims to be? For the protection of people, or have sides changed and now become a race to see who can pocket his partner's belongings as well as weight in coin?' I feel myself losing control, my frustration building. I must learn to tame this monster, lest I am no better than those I oppose. With a large breath I calm myself, uttering, Forgive me, God. It has been a long and trying day, and I am not mentally prepared for this endeavor. I mean, how does one prepare for such a thing? Oh no, sir. I understand. It's just many hours have passed, and the shock with it poor soul was taken in an instant, and by the time news had reached these gates, it was all but ceased. I hope you did not think me a soulless git, with no compassion. In fact, Augustus was a dear friend of the royal household, and me, so I am more than sympathetic. Now, if you would oblige, I will take you to the scene, and you may begin your proceedings." Guilt struck me, my mouth always getting me into trouble. Alas, he was right. The sooner we brought order to chaos, the sooner we can expel the darkness. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Origin of Ideas section of this podcast. Uh, For those of you who have been here before, obviously, you know what goes on. For those of you who are just joining in, basically, it's the section of the podcast where we talk about the ideas that have been discussed in the chapter itself and how they came to be. So, getting straight off, basically the first point uh, we see in this chapter is there's uh, a lot less sort of reference to history, but it's more, like, focused on a specific point. So, in particular, um, there's a part where Jekyll turns around and says that the rats are sort of wading through the filth on the streets like some pagan altar. Basically, this is to, like, show you or, or try and describe in the best way, like, how life was like in the East End. It was really, like, dirty conditions, re- like, the health was so poor. Like, literally, there was such a divide between the two ends of London. Like, the West End, it would be like any sort of well-developed city. You know, you you had literally, like, no uh refuse or waste in the streets. uh Crime was completely down. All the different, you know, things that you would expect from a developing city. Whereas in the East End, it was, like, complete polar opposites. And this was occurring in a country that was considered by the rest of the world... As developed you know this was a central hub of the british empire so you don't really expect to see those sort of polarized divisions uh, between you know the the main capital of that country uh but it's interesting to sort of see that and it's definitely an interesting dynamic to address uh in chapter two the second point is that we definitely see hyde becoming more prominent in this chapter as a character um, there's not only james flint who were introduced to in the chapter that has knowledge of, um, you know, Jekyll obviously having this alter ego. But also, Jekyll himself is actually now becoming more open to the idea. You know, he's now starting to reference it. Um, in, in the place where he confronts the mother of um, Walter Potter, he turns around and he says that he would be comfortable with receiving a slap in the face, but his counterpart wouldn't. This is obviously a reference to Hyde. So Jekyll, by this point, is already aware that he has this alter ego or this presence, if you will, there. And we see that, obviously, Flint has awareness of it. But we also start to look into the secret behind James Flint as a character himself. Because, obviously, um, there's reference in the first chapter, just in case you missed it. He turns around and and Jekyll mentions uh, about questioning mortality. And then he says, speaking of which... My next point of call was James Flint. Obviously, James Flint then turns around and says to Jekyll, I've kept your secrets for hundreds, well, years. So this is a reference toward James Flint's own secret, which obviously we're not going to ruin now. But basically, throughout the story, um, I'll leave it to your imagination. But we see um, the first inclination toward that. The third point is that there's a reference to our own views on society. So when Jekyll turns around and mentions the inequality um, between races, you know, if a brother is of a different skin color or if a woman is of a feeble gender. Now, this is not to be taken, you know, on face value. This is obviously the thing, the moral of the time, if you will. This is like the attitude of the British Empire, the attitude of people around the time. And Jekyll is bringing it into question. Because he goes on later to state, why should this be something that people fear? Why should people be afraid? Why should people make excuses? You know, the fact that women were considered of a feeble gender has nothing to do with a woman's worth. You know, obviously, I, you know, I'm not what I would consider a feminist, but I do believe in equality between genders, you know, whether that's men and women, gender neutral, however it is, but also with races as well. You know, you, you can't judge a person's worth based on the colour of their skin. But obviously, this is something that had to be taken into consideration with obviously writing in a historical way. But it doesn't reflect the fact that Jekyll himself believes these attitudes. It simply reflects that was the attitude of the time. And Jekyll as a character uh, disagrees with this, much like I myself disagree with similar attitudes that are carrying on in today's time. The fourth... Is there's a reference to Pirates of the Caribbean 4 on Stranger Tides. Uh, there's a, a part where he meets, uh, Constable Daltz in the story and he turns around and he, he reels off all this stuff about, um, the Queen of England, Empress of India, um, Queen of the British Empire and of you. And there's a, it references the part in the beginning of, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 4 on Stranger Tides where Johnny Depp's character obviously um, is being you know, prostrated before King George. I can't remember whether it's uh, third or fourth, but basically the guard then preludes that same thing. He basically says, you are in the presence of George the third or George the fourth um, ruler of England of the sovereign nation and of you. And then Johnny Depp basically turns around as captain Jack Sparrow. He just turns around and he's like, never heard of him, you know? <laughs> so I found that quite amusing. Um, And obviously, that ended up finding its way in our book. Obviously, if you've checked out the episode before this, you'll know that I put cheeky references like uh, Easter eggs, if you will, on various films that I'm watching, games I'm playing, music I'm listening to, etc, etc. And you'll find them pretty much scattered throughout the books and the various um, chapters that we do. And the final point is you'll notice that toward the end of chapter two, Jekyll exudes this attitude that i would say like it reflects our own basically um it's the attitude of better to ask forgiveness than permission basically what happens is if i have something on my mind then i'll just come out and say it like i I will be blunt if i have to and i'll just i'll just say something regardless of how someone's going to react to it or regardless of how they're gonna feel toward me you know and obviously this has had its fair share of consequences over the years um, and obviously we've had to sort of dull it down in response but basically while we were writing a light in the mist we were still very much running like a ball in a china shop um, type attitude uh, and then obviously we would then realize the consequences of our actions and then have to apologize for them so that about wraps up this section so we'll go ahead and get into the next one And welcome to the tips of the trade section of this podcast. Uh, basically, carrying on from le- last week, uh, we discussed basically the mindset of the writer and how you'd have to address, you know, uh, what kind of writer you were going to be, what you were hoping to achieve um, with your books, uh, whether you wanted to publish or self-publish, that sort of thing. So by this point, hopefully you've um, you know answered those questions in yourself and you, you know what you want to do. So carrying on. Basically to the next stage, uh, I want to take you into the actual, like, first processes of forming an idea. So what I would like to jump into first is inspirations. Now, the section before this is actually dedicated to the inspirations that inspired our making of the chapter. So I advise you to, you know, head on to those sections, have a listen to them. Obviously keep listening as, you know, this series progresses. Um, you know, cause it, it really does give you sort of like a, a list of ideas from things to pick and mix from, basically. Um, but if I am to sum it up, I would say inspirations can come from pretty much anything. They can come from games, films, uh, music, clothing, books. And that's basically what we're going to um, break down here in in this section for A Light in the Mist. So, for instance, if I go to, like, in the film sort of section, but it's more like TV, so it's more like series So, I've mentioned this obviously in the, um, origin of ideas section, uh, previous, but basically, uh, we were like largely into sort of murder mystery series. So obviously for a light in the mist, I used lots of inspiration from series like Murdoch mysteries, Poirot. We got inspiration from music because obviously a lot of the music we listen to. Is sort of like rock and metal, so there's loads of, like, gothic themes and that sort of thing. This uh, stick-it-to-the-man attitude, which obviously uh, comes across in in some of our characters. Um, the clothing, obviously, I've, I've loved sort of, like, steampunk fashion uh, for quite some time. Um, and I've always been, like, interested in Victorian fashion. Like, you know, it was just the etiquette was so much, like, better. And, you know, everybody, like, looked dapper. Everybody looked, like, really good. Um In waste coasts and all that kind of stuff, so using that as inspiration as well, but also books um you know to obviously they don't necessarily have to be in in a similar genre, but with this case, it helped so obviously we looked at Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was obviously Robert Louise Stevenson. We looked at Poirot, which was obviously written by Agatha Christie. We looked at Murdoch Mysteries, which is written by Maureen Jennings. And basically we read through those books and used them for inspiration as well. So maybe you can use a particular book to give you insight onto forensic methods. Maybe you can look into, uh, how characters interact with one another, uh, character development. Um, you can use books just for sort of detailing a background, you know, how to properly describe a background. Now, Obviously, these are subjects that we'll all focus on, you know, in future sections. But for the sake of this particular section, we're just looking at the inspirations for which you can actually draw from and how they can be used to then help in the forming of an idea. So when thinking of A Light in the Mist, obviously, it's very high, heavily inspiration based. Um, and you can use, like I said before, games, films, you can incorporate elements of a storyline, you can incorporate elements of a character, all these different sorts of things that you can draw on. There's really no limit as to what you can draw on from your inspirations. And like I said, your inspirations can range from you know the description of your own room being included in your book, or it could be the description of the street outside your house. It could be a description of a forest area that's next door to your house, or you know, just to, I don't know, the description of how people interact with one another. Um, you know, if you, if you take a walk through your village or city, you know, town sort of thing, then you can sort of do what authors call people watching. So you can sort of observe, not like to the point where you're like a stalker and it starts creeping people out, but basically <laughs> you have. You know, elements where you can sort of observe people from afar and you can see how they react to certain situations. You can see how they interact with one another, their um, personality quirks, all those different sorts of things. And obviously, this will be addressed in future sections as well, because obviously we'll probably go into this in greater depth when we come to character development and that sort of thing. But basically, for now, it's just like seeing what you can pluck basically from what you have available to you. And it's basically addressing why it was important in the last episode to take a look, to do the exercise, to take a look at your shelf, uh, anything that basically gives you an expression of yourself um, and to have a look at that and see what genre jumps out at you. Because obviously those inspirations will help in the forming of not just your idea, but in the forming of the story as it progresses. Okay, so that pretty much sums up uh, for this section. And that about wraps it up for the second episode. Once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. It means the world to us, obviously, with you guys uh, making us part of your daily routine. It really does mean the world. Thank you very much um, for, you know, tuning in, listening. I uh, hope you've um, got what you wanted from it, you know, whether it's, you know, tips, tips, uh you know things about inspiration whether it's lived up to expectations as far as the actual book reading itself you know i just hope you've enjoyed it you know that's that's the main thing uh, to take away from this is that you found it an enjoyable experience uh obviously we'll endeavor to include links down below for anything that we've referenced uh during the episode uh if you've enjoyed this podcast um i would just encourage you to head on over to another podcast uh called genuine chit chat it's hosted by uh, one of my mates uh mike it's a really good podcast which is like based around conversation there's no topic off limits so if that sounds like something that you'd uh, be interested in head on over there he'd be more than happy to hear from you and um if you've enjoyed this podcast i can't imagine why you wouldn't enjoy that podcast as well so once again guys thank you uh, for tuning in thank you for making us part of your day and i hope you enjoy the rest of it i'll see you next time